Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another edition of Showtime with Coop. Insightful BS with some of my Laker teammates and NBA legends. And in the house today, we got Mr. Spencer Haywood. Wood, before I get started, I got to read out your accolades, man. Okay? Your NBA champion in 1980. ABA's most valuable player in 1970. Four-time NBA All-Star, 72 through 75. ABA All-Star, 1970. ABA All-Star Game MVP in 1970. Two-time All-NBA First Team. All-ABA First Team. That's a lot of teams, Wood. You've been out there a while. Uh, Two-time All-NBA Second Team. ABA Rookie of the Year, 1970. And it goes on and on and on. And I want to list out. Tell our listeners, welcome, Mr. Spencer Haywood. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me here, my friend. Wood, that is the last kind of polite thing. I want you to be that Spencer Haywood. (laughs) I know I'm not going to be polite. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, Wood, the family doing well through these tough times we're having in COVID? How you guys doing? Everybody is doing great. Um, Shoot. Hey, I had a little battle with it. And I survived, so I, I'm good. Did you get and your shots now? I have both shots. shots. Yes, of course. I have both shots. And uh, shoot, I'm just I'm just happy to be alive. And we'll talk about that part of it a little later. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get started. Wood, you've been missing everything in basketball. Uh, uh, growing up, thought, who were some of your role models? Who were some of your role models when you were growing up? Well, when I grew up, I grew up in in a place called Silver City, Mississippi, and I was part of a family and part of a group of people who were indentured slavery there in Silver City, Mississippi. We picked cotton, chopped cotton, and planted cotton from sunup to sundown, and we could not go into bathrooms where other people could go into. We were just totally segregated, 
and was obligated to that farmer because if we left the farm, they would kill the rest of the family and so on and so forth. But this is in the 50s, so it was hard growing up. So there was this guy that was the best cotton picker that we had seen in, that, in our county. And I, I eyed him and I said, you know what, Coop? I'm going to be the best cotton picker. I'm going to beat this guy here. And so we started picking cotton and just working at it, working at it, picking with both hands and stuff, practicing. And not practicing because you're picking cotton, you're working. But just the idea that you had that goal. And and lo and behold, uh, my mom says, you know, when it rains and when the weather's down and when you guys are not in school, uh, I would like for y'all to start playing basketball. I saw the white kids playing basketball up there. Y'all should be playing basketball. It was like, we don't have a basketball. We don't have a goal. We don't have a backboard and stuff. She said, don't worry, baby. I'm going to make you one. I'm going to make you a basketball. <laughs> so she put cotton in this ball and everything. And then we set up rules and the ball oh. didn't bounce, of course, you know, so <laughs> we were dirt, dirt poor. So the ball didn't bounce. So, we always said take two bops, one, two, three, or one, two, and pass or shoot. And then we got a backboard we made. We just made a backboard, wood back, wooden backboard. And then we decided we got to have a good rim. We put a barrel rim up. You know how big a barrel rim is. Yeah, yeah. You never can miss. <laughs> so that's how we started playing basketball. And lo and behold, later on, uh, they threw one out in the in the garbage dump, and we found our, our basketball, put a patch over it, and it could bounce and everything. And then we got a goal, a real goal, put it up, and we just started playing basketball. So that was my first love of basketball. But in the meantime, I was working at the country club. Beside picking the cotton, I was working at the country club as a caddy. So I had started playing golf. Whenever, when all of the people left the golf course, we were the golf maintenance crew so we cleaned up the golf and everything golf carts and we played it with their golf clubs so I started playing golf too and uh, that was my life in Mississippi I didn't know that God was preparing me for something special because I thought I was just enslaved you know and so when I got (laughs) when I got to Detroit because what happened was uh, when you get to be a big kid in, in Silver City Mississippi they would say, you know, we got to put him in jail because therefore you can keep him on the farm. So they put me in jail for a night. And after I got out, my mom says, you got to escape out of here. So we left out of the dead of night out of Belzoni, Mississippi, not out of this Silver City. And let me remind you all that Silver City is not any silver and it ain't no city. <laughs> so... The place is like 320 people. So I left from Belzoni and I, I got up to, to Chicago, first with my brothers in Chicago. And I thought that they were like, you know, real cool dudes, rich. They had came down every year with, you know, like a new car and a wad of money, you know, hey, you poor brothers down here, you know. And we were like, hey, I can't wait to get to be, be with these guys. So I got up there to Chicago and they telling me the car was rented, the money was fake. <laughs> so I went for the okie doke and I was like, oh man. So I was playing in Chicago, getting ready to go to Crane Tech. And my brother, Roy, 
who came over from Bowling Green State University because he had been raised up north because my aunt wanted someone there. And so he picked me up and said, you can't survive here with these drunks and these crazy people. So he took me over to Bowling Green State University. And uh, the guys who were playing at that time was Nate Thurman. uh, uh, What's his name? Uh, Big, uh, I can't think of his name right now, but Howard Comeyes from the Pistons, all those guys were there. And I was 15 years old. So they said, well, look, you got to go to to Detroit where all of the action is and we got to get a coach to adopt you. And the best one would be Will Robinson. So we went up to Detroit and um, that's when I got my sea legs because we played, I played in an all-star game and I got like 27 points and 15 rebounds and four block shots. And everybody was like, where did he come from? Who is he? <laughs> and so I, uh, and then Will Robinson, who was the guy that I wanted to be coached by, and I didn't have a family up there because my family was still in Mississippi. And he said, hey, I will adopt you, providing you do pretty good against this next group that's coming up. And that was the college team, which was Cassie Russell, Bill Buntons, all of those guys from Michigan, Michigan State. So I played pretty good against them, 17 points and seven rebounds. And it's, and my brother said, he can play against the pros. So Dave Bing and John Tresvan, all those guys had a big team of pros playing. And so I played against them, and I did pretty good. And that's when Will Robinson said, come on with me, son. We're going home. So we went down to his place and was living downtown in downtown Detroit with all of the doctors and lawyers and stuff, but no kids. And so we had to find a family close to the high school. He was coaching at at Persian High School. And then we found James and Ida Bell. They did a joint adoption between Will Robinson and, and James and Ida Bell. And that's how my next career started, which was in high school. Okay, so hold up, Will, because you know what? This is uh, Showtime with Coop, insightful BS, but you brought some reality to this, man. <laughs> yeah, were you growing up in, in the 1800s in Mississippi? <laughs> you know I know. So I was told y'all. I said, it is, ain't no city, ain't no silver. <laughs> I know. I know. I know that shit. Well, what would? I was going to ask you, what was it like growing up for you when you were young? But, man, maybe that's why your hands are so big, picking all that because cotton. Because I was picking the cotton. <laughs> and, Coop, the other thing was. This is the 1950s? I mean, yeah. I know the Mississippi is slowed and, and the South is a little slow, but seriously? This Mi- happened in the 1950s. Mississippi has four eyes and can't see. <laughs> And Nina Simone, Nina Simone said in her song, Mississippi, God damn. <laughs> you know what, Wood, so it's funny you bring her name up because my ex-wife used to like Nina Simone, the artist, and we named my, my daughter after her Simone, man. Oh. Yeah, so that's... that's Birds flying oh, high, Nina you Simone, know how I feel. Oh, she was good. Uh, yeah. So, Wood. Sun in the sky. And, you and know I how fact, I feel. <laughs> <laughs> Ari likes to sing. Uh, Love that song. About our higher power and the Lord Jesus Christ is bound. You said that, you know, he was preparing you for, for greatness, man. And I really do believe in, in situations that we go through as young people, that it prepares us for what, what lies ahead for us. So you go through all of that and you finally leave. Now, how did you wind up 
at Trinidad's uh, JC, and and I went to JC. Can you talk a little bit about to our, some of our young listeners? It's not, and I tell people this all the time. It's not bad going to a JC. Sometimes you work on yourself academically, and you work on yourself athletically. Right. Tell us a little bit about your experience in junior college. Well, what happened was, you know, we won the Class A state championship for the city of Detroit for the first time in 35 years. There was a big drought, so they there I was so called so called savior for the city. And then I signed with the University of Tennessee because my mom and my family that was left in Mississippi wanted to see me play. So I thought I could sign with the University of Tennessee and then play Mississippi and Mississippi State. And they were like, nah, this is 1967. You can't do this. And so uh, Adolph Rupp, who was, had lost to Western Kentucky, I mean, Kentucky Western, in the, in the finals in 66. So he said, well, I should have had the first black player down here, the best superstar. So I couldn't go with him because he was calling me all the shit they were calling me back in Mississippi. So it was all cool, but he's a nice man. And so we ended up saying, well, look, let's just get out of this situation. We're going to get down with Bob King at University of New Mexico. So we want you to go down to Trinidad State Junior College. And mind you, Spencer, it is close to Albuquerque, close to Denver. You're going to have a lot of fun. I get out there. It's 420 miles from Albuquerque, 367 miles from Denver. And said, you know, listen, if you maintain a B average, you can get out of here in one year. So I was like studying and playing ball. And, but then I started playing and I was feeling what I was feeling in Mississippi. I was wondering what the Lord had did for me, did to me. So here I am dunking and running and everybody saying, how long can he run? How could he do this? Because in Mississippi, I was picking with both hands. I was dragging a sack. My legs had developed. My body had developed. So I was like, oh, that's when it came into play. And lo and behold, that same year in Trinidad, uh, the 68 Olympics came up. And Kareem says, I'm not going to go to the 68 Olympics. I'm going to boycott it. And then Elvin Hayes and Wes Unsell decided to sign their pro contract because you could not play in the Olympics if you were a pro. I know young folks don't know that. Yeah. You had to be an amateur. Yeah. And so they brought me down to try out for the Olympic team. And I'm thinking, man, I get me some nice gear, go back to Detroit, show my boys I tried out. And lo and behold, they was cutting, when they call it, the people they were cutting, they were cutting, they cut Pistol Pete. Now, uh, Wood, how how, uh, how tall were you then? Six, were you your, your six, height? Eight, I was, yeah, my, my size now. Yeah. Yeah, I was fully grown. <laughs> so, and I never grew anymore. That was one of the disappointments. <laughs> but then they had to call off the, the, the Olympic team and they cut in Pete Maverich. They cut in Calvin Murphy. Bob Lanier. Well, who are they and taking, Wood? Who are they taking then? They took me. Oh. <laughs> they said, they said, we got uh, our first player pick, the Spencer Haywood. I was like, oh, I don't have a basketball. about that? I mean, did you feel the burden of uh, having to carry the U.S. Olympic team that year? Oh, no, I thought I was, you know, my mom had prepared me and said, baby, you know, you're going to do great things, son. You're going up north to be a savior. The Lord has got you. Don't you, just, just don't you mess up. You stay on the Lord's side, you're going to be all right. So 
when when they when they called me out i was like okay well let's play and then all of a sudden we get ready to go <laughs> to russia and they said well bring in your your birth certificates and we're going to create the passport so we so the team can go to russia i was like oh shit i didn't have one when i went to persian high school so i had to get a <laughs> they called my mom and she said, hey, baby, I got his passport right here written in the Bible on the John 21. <laughs> so, so they sent, they sent a photographer down to her house in Silver City. They created a passport in Jackson. And then I got a passport. And then we were off to uh, Russia, Yugoslavia, and into Finland. We came back. We scrimmaged against the Knicks. We did really well. We beat them. Because nobody was in practice during that time, but they just came and showed up for it. And then Willis Reed was like, man, y'all going to win. Don't worry about Howard Cosell. He just, he just blowing y'all up because we was expected to lose the Olympics. Then we went from there to, to play in Cincinnati against Oscar Robinson. And Oscar Robinson stopped and took us upstairs and had some lunch with us later and said, y'all are going to do this, you know. But Wood, as a young player, you're seeing all these professionals. And the question I have, was there any one of those guys that you patterned your style or your play afterward, after? Yeah, Elgin Baylor. Yeah, okay. Elgin Baylor was my guy. I even parted my hair and cut it over because I didn't want to. I wanted, I wanted to because my coach was like, you know, he ended up being the first black coach in NC2A division history, my dad. So he... Uh, he always wanted me to play like Bill Russell, defense. And I, I like defense, but I, I just loved offense because I loved Elgin Baylor and his style of play. And Elgin Baylor now, for young folks, I know they think, well, you know, nobody was better than Jordan or LeBron or anybody, but Elgin Baylor. Well, that's why I try to tell these young kids today, I try to tell them, man, Elgin Baylor, yourself included, Connie Hawkins, they oh. ain't seen. They had players, man, playing with one hand before Jordan and the way these guys oh, were playing. Oh, long before that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And so... Uh, so you guys went well, in the Olympics that year? Yeah, we, we did win the Olympics. And, you know, it was a lot of commotion there because, you know, also when, when before the Olympics took place, we had a big meeting because we had to have a meeting. And, and before that meeting... They had met with uh, John Carlos and those guys had met with uh, with Martin Luther King, uh, uh, Jackie Robinson, Jesse Owens and all of those guys before they came down to Mexico City. And when we got to Mexico City, it was some grumbling about, well, you know, who's going to boycott and who's who is going to, you know, stand up and make a make a statement. And so we had Jesse Owens come in and he was speaking to us and we were like, you know, myself, George Foreman, Tommy Smith and John Carlos, Charlie Scott, we all sitting back here like some hot shots. Yeah, man, what can this old dude tell us? And he kind of heard us out of the ear. And he said, hey, what if any of you SOBs had to run before Hitler? Oh, Jesse, don't drop the H-man on us. <laughs> don't drop the show down there. Yeah, he dropped the H-man on us, and then we said, all right, we got it, we got it, we're not going to do anything. So Tommy and John said, you know, let's just make a statement for the people back home because of social justice and human rights. 
So when they won their gold and silver, they got on the stadium, on the stand, and they put up the black glove. That the iconic glove. picture that you see now, man. Iconic picture. And yeah. so all of a sudden, you know, the Olympic Committee throwing them out of the village and stuff, and we were like all worried, like, what the hell is going on? And so George had his fight right after that, George Foreman, and he said, hey, Wood, I'm, I'm going to have the little flag in my hand, American flag, but that's what – <laughs> I got to be champion and I don't want no more trouble. <laughs> so he knocked out the Russian and walked around the ring with the, with the flag, you know? And then when we got to our final game, uh, everything was just going great. We was playing and killing them. And then when we won the, the championship, they start to get up. I'm on stage with all of my teammates and they, they getting calling out the names, what we did. And they got to me. Well, he set a record in the most points in the history of the Olympics. Who, me? <laughs> and then, no, what did you? You just playing. No, I was just playing, man. <laughs> I didn't even think about no records and field goal percentage at 72% that still stands today. And I'm second behind Durant, Durant and, and, uh, and points made in the Olympics. Uh, so they call out all that stuff and I'm starting to feel it like, wow, this is what I did? And then when it got to me to put the, the medal on my neck, I could think about but one thing, and I thought about my mom in Mississippi, my family in Mississippi, and I just started crying. I couldn't stop crying. He was putting the metal on. I'm like crying and stuff. And, and Jojo White said, stand up like a man. Be, you know, we're on national television, world television. Act like you've been here before. I was like, but I just turned 19. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> so I stood there coping. I said, wow. Four years before, I was an indentured slave in America. And now here I am, the king of the throne in America. How could you move there in four years in that, in that journey? And then I realized, hey, it was God. It wasn't me because I didn't know what I was doing out there. I was just playing basketball and enjoying life. And all of a sudden, here I am now with this gold medal on. Man, that was like a, a joyful time. And, and I just... I just felt overwhelmed by the, the joy of it all. You know what, Joe? Your mom sounds like my grandmother. That walk they have with our higher power, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, lights up our way. So you win the gold medal, you come back, and now you got a choice whether the NBA or the ABA. Now, the NBA wouldn't let you in because you had to graduate with your class being so young. You chose the ABA. What was that like? Well, before I did that, I came back to the University of Detroit mm -hmm. because the the city had been burnt down in the 67 riots. We were trying to bring the city back to life. So I signed with the University of Detroit. And then uh, that year, uh, I ended up uh, second to Kareem as the MVP. And that, start, that uh, All-American team was Kareem, myself, Pete Maravich, Rick Mount, and Calvary Murphy. We were putting up wow. some numbers. Hey, well, let me ask you this if you finish. You know what? When you look back on it now at our age and stuff, what does it feel like to be a bad motherfucker? You know what I mean? <laughs> this feels really good, Coop, to be a bad <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, it, but, but going through it, I had no idea. I was yeah. just playing. I was just enjoying myself. And, and, and then when I... Uh, what happened was the ABA said, listen, we have to 
go after the NBA players. So they went into the, to the, to the draft pool trying to get Kareem and some of the other players. They were like, we're not going to the ABA, we're going to the NBA. And so the ABA said, listen, we have to usurp the NBA. We're going to draft, and if we can get this one player that could set everything straight for us in the ABA, if we get an underclassman, we will take them before they get into the draft. So they said, well, look, let's try Spencer Haywood. And Hannah Storm's father, Mike Storm, uh, was the public relations and one of the owners. He said, well, look, come on, Spence, you get in here and you do pretty good. We'll be able to go out and get Julius Irving and all the other guys later. So what, what team did you go to? The Denver Rockets. The Denver Rockets. Okay. So I, I signed with the Denver Rockets. And that year I averaged 30 points and 20 rebounds. Rookie of the year, leading scorer, leading rebounder, MVP of the league. They were like, whoa. But we what, got didn't it. it seem like uh, the basketball being red, white, and blue? Didn't it seem like a gimmick or a circus type of uh, atmosphere? Oh, no. That ball was, like, perfect, man, because you could shoot it. You could tell where, you're, where, you're, where it's coming off the rebounds. It was just it – was, it was awesome because it opened up the game. It is what they play today because, see, in the NBA – we had like their style of play were like Bob, Bob, let's get it up the floor, run it up the floor. And not you now, you big guys, don't you touch that ball. You just rebound it and you throw it out to the guards and you go running down the floor. Plop, 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 plop. And you go down there and you do a crisscross, you stand there and you wait and give it. If you give it to you, it's fine. If you don't, go to the board and get it. But in the ABA, <laughs> You know, you took it off the board. You're like, look around. Where's the guard? I don't need a guard. I got it. So you come up the floor. You're kicking it up. And you're like, hey, my God, he's not guarding me at the free throw line. You just take off. Oh, bam, dunk it. And you turn to the fans. Oh, yeah, baby. <laughs> and and then, you know, you would go to your trip. You're bringing up the ball. And you're like, you're back on defense, Coop. You're thinking like, you know, you're defensive specialist. You'd be digging in like, oh, yeah, I got this. Ain't nobody driving in the middle. They spread out to the three-point line, and they could shoot the three. So it was a different style of play, and it was beautiful basketball. And then, of course, you know, uh, they gave me a, a fraudulent contract at the <laughs> after that big year I had. That was the non-beauty of the ABA, was the shadiness. They always gave you a fraudulent contract. <laughs> They gave, me, hey, listen. Listen, they gave me this contract and said, you are going to be the highest paid player in basketball history. Here's your contract for 1.9 for four years, five years. And so I signed the thing and I didn't have no agent, no lawyer there with me or nothing because I was said I just turned, turned 20. And so I signed the contract and then we I get a lawyer and he looked at the contract. He said, this is some garbage. <laughs> I was like, well, why would they do that? I'm the MVP. <laughs> they had put $10,000 into a Wall Street investment. Wow. And that $10,000, when I get to be age 50 to age 70, would create one5 <laughs> $1.5 million. <laughs> and I had to be in slavitude to the Ringsby truck line up until 70 to receive the money. Wow. 
Oh, hey, you listening to Showtime with Coop, insightful BS, and one of the biggest BSs we've had on this show, Spencer Haywood. But again, he's speaking the truth. Wood, we're at this point in my show, I got this thing I call Coop's Lightning Round. I'm going to give you six names. Now, before you go to the Lightning Round, can I go to the, to the Supreme Court? <laughs> I haven't been there yet. All right, let me move there real fast. You're just going to go over time. All right. The next stop, Wood, stop. Uh, I'll give you some names. Tell us as much as you want or as little as you want about this person, okay? okay. David Stern. David Stern was just uh, an awesome guy. We, we had a little battle because he was the, you know, he was the legal counsel when I signed to go with Seattle. So we had a battle. And then later on, David Stern is the reason I have this. The book, wow. Spencer Hayward. David Stern took me in a couple of years ago and said, look, I want you to have this book with this Triumph company. And he set it up and he was writing the forward in my book before wow. he passed. So that's my guy. Sam Shulman. Sam Shulman, man, he put it all on the line for me to go to the Supreme Court. He financed the whole thing. And uh, governor, former governor, Pat Brown, who was Jerry Brown's father. All those people were the legal team. We went all the way to the Supreme Court. Sam Schumann paid $1.9 million for the legal case. Sam Schumann. Pat Riley. Pat Riley. Oh, Pat was like, Pat was cool, man. He was cooler than everybody. And he was a great coach. Great coach. I just feel unfortunate that I didn't get a chance to spend my time with him that I wanted to spend, but you know, drugs do that to you. It's a little overrated, Wood. Uh, Dave Cowens. Dave Cowens was tough, mighty, powerful, just hard playing dude, you know. I, I loved his game. And uh, when we played, you know, we hated the Celtics because I was with the Knicks at the time. So it was, it was dog, doggy dog world. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, man. He, when Kareem had some issues with in Washington, D.C. with his family up there, and they did some damage, so he came to Seattle to live with me when I was with the Sonics, and we had a nice, long, wonderful day. But now, the GOAT. Bob McAdoo. McAdoo. McAdoo was a semi-GOAT because he could play. <laughs> <laughs> he was a little bitty, bitty, Billy GOAT. <laughs> McAdoo could play, <laughs> really could play. And he followed me over to Italy too. And he found a wife over there. So, so would you, would you want to talk about the Supreme Court? Take us there. Okay. So when I, um, when I left Denver, Sam Schumann said, we have to take you in with us with the Seattle Supersonics. And Jerry Colangelo had took Connie Hawkins out of the ABA. And the, the idea was the NBA was saying, let's tear that ABA apart, take their best players, and see what they have then. Hey, what, they didn't think about merging? Was there talk of a merger? No, 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 it wasn't a merger. We're going to kill it. We're going to kill them off. We're going to kill that ABA off. They're playing silly basketball. They're shooting three-point shots. They're playing like we play today. What kind of madness is that? Basketball is supposed to be walked up the floor. You they do this. Red R back. <laughs> My best impression of Red Arbat. <laughs> and, and so when I signed with Seattle, 
the NBA and the NC2A. They filed suit against me not to play. And so did the ABA because I was an underclassman. I had one more year left before I could go into the draft. And so Sam Schumann said, I'm not going to let him go into the draft. I'm going to teach him what Jewish loyalty is all about right here. He's a Brooklyn guy, you know. <laughs> so so uh, he should be a stand-up comedian. You know that? <laughs> so he signed me. He signed me to the contract, and I was like, "Okay, let's go." And so I walk out on the floor, and the NBA hit me with a with a subpoena saying, "No, we have an injunction against this player. He cannot play." They served you on the court. Yeah, they said before I got ready to jump. They said, "Ladies and gentlemen, we have an illegal player on the floor, number twenty-four, and he cannot play tonight." Because we have an injunction, and they escorted me off. And then I go 10 games without playing. Then I get an injunction to play for 10 games. And then I played and stuff like that. And I get to Chicago. Chet Walker, I'm in the warm-up line. Chet Walker says, well, I hurt my ankle in the warm-up because I'm looking down here at Spencer Haywood. So the Chicago Bulls sued me for 600,000. What? Yeah. And so I, then I get another, they get another 10 day after that against me to set me down. And then I get a 10 day to, to play again. And then we end up in Cincinnati and they said, ladies and gentlemen, we have an illegal player, number 24, and he must be escorted off the grounds in which this arena sat on and I'm like but it's cold out there <laughs> it was snow so they put me out into the snow so Wood this is all when you're 19 or are you 20 20 yeah I was a grown man 20 I was, years 20. Old, okay. <laughs> I was wow. a grown man Coop I was 20 yeah. right right <laughs> why, were, why were they bringing all this madness to you because you have to discourage the idea and they were lost in the idea that you know all of our players in the NBA must be four years after out of high school before they could come into the NBA. And then the NC2A was juking up the NBA and saying, if you allow this to happen, you know, we're going to lose all of our revenue going to the colleges and the universities. Okay. So it was a big deal, Coop. It was huge. A lot of people yeah. were playing in that hand. It's kind of like the it's it's kind of like the war that's going on now where they get ready to let these college kids uh, get paid. And then the yeah. NBA, I hear, has got something going on. But, uh, I mean, a lot of that's – it's amazing, Wood, with all that going on that you turned out to be the player that you became, one of the greatest NBA players that, that ever played this game. And I wish a lot of our young kids – because I was talking to my son last night because I knew I was going to interview you. I said, hey, you ever heard of Spencer Haywood? No. Nah. He goes, who's that? So I made him <laughs> Google you. And no, Wood, he Googled you and he told me everything about you. And he goes, Dad, you know what? He, and he doesn't curse, he's 16 years old, yeah. but he goes, he was a son of a bitch. And I go, you know what? There's a lot of players, his name is Niels, Niels, that you don't know about, but you need to read your history of the NBA because they see the Allen Iversons, the Kobe's, the KD. Yeah. They see all these players now, but you got to look at who laid that road work for them. Yeah. And who were the stars back then? So, well, especially uh, the ABA too. I mean, the ABA very much as he's mentioning sort of the contrast of styles like that, you know, the ABAs became a lot of what the NBA became that style, you know? Yeah. So what happened was when I finished out the case, I ended up in the front of Thurgood Marshall 
Uh-huh. And Thurgood Marshall said, we allow hockey, baseball, tennis, tiddlywinks, but the two revenue sports, basketball and football, we are not putting a ban. We put a ban on those two sports, but we're not putting a ban on the others. Wow. <laughs> so this is what he just came from in Mississippi, indentured slavery. And he passed I won the case seven to two. And that's what opened up everything. So then you had McAdoo, all the guys coming into the NBA. But right away, Julius Irvin, George Gervin, all the guys that's in, uh, flooded Artie the Gilmore, NBA. All Artie of them, they flooded the ABA. And then, yeah. then basketball became what it is. And all it, on the back. So, Coop, do you know how much that case has, has earned players in terms of salary? No. It's set, set. Uh, my case has earned over $31 billion in salary. Wow. Players. And they have no fucking idea who I am. That's okay, Wood, because I know, and my listeners know who you are now. We still, well, you're blowing me up, baby. We still madly in love with you. Even though, <laughs> hey, you don't have hair. I don't have any hair, but I still like you. Wood, yeah. your and, thoughts. and you're a little darker than me. Go ahead. You're a little blacker than me. <laughs> Black of the berry, sweet of the juice. Um, What thoughts on the NBA today, Wood? Uh, You know, Coop, I mean, the NBA today is like, I mean, playing in a bubble with a pandemic. (laughs) They're going to edge us out because I don't know if we would have been able to. We would have been able to do it with ease, but just the idea that they they are playing in a bubble with a pandemic. I have nothing but respect. And then also you see players like Luca who come into the league well-trained and it go back to my case because he came in under the case, LeBron come in under the case, all of the players, like out of the 470 players, 460 of them are under my ruling. Mm-hmm. But to see that and what happened was Luca and Joker and those guys and Giannis, They've been training and playing pro ball since they were 15 years old. So we Americans are falling behind because we're saying, well, we don't want our kids to be exploited like that. And then you look at LaMelo Ball, who went to to Australia, played, he come out, and then as a freshman, as a a rookie, he's better than all the other guys. So is at Wood. I like him. I like that young man. He can play this game, man. But I'm saying these guys have the edge because we sit over here saying, well, I don't want my child to be exploited. I don't want him to go and play in a, in a, in a league, the G league or the G training league or wherever before he gets his degree, he's not going to get the degree. You can get the degree on a computer here now. And all of the people who are in school, they are getting their degree on a, on a computer. Yeah. So it's not going to wipe out college basketball, but I think that you're in the business of basketball. That's what you were training for. And it reminds me when I spoke to Bill Gates, I said, Bill, what happened when, when you found out what you wanted to do with Microsoft? He said, I left school. I'm like, oh, okay. So I feel pretty good because his dad did one of my earlier contracts with the Sonics. Wow. But you know what? I still am a believer is these colleges are making millions of dollars off of their star athletes. These kids got to reap some of that benefit, man. You have yeah. to. 
They don't have no health insurance. That's what I was fighting for. They don't have health insurance. They don't have, they parents can't come to see them play because it's a violation. I mean, coaches making $10 million, the players make zero. 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 Now, what does it remind me of? It remind me of when I was picking cotton in Mississippi. We picked all of the cotton. We just got enough to survive on. And this guy sitting up on the porch with a mint julep talking about a big cigar. Yeah, you're going to be good field workers. (laughs) (laughs) So it's the same principle. If there was two good things that you could add to the NBA, two things that you could add to the NBA today, what would it be? I would add more players like yourself, I mean, because they need coaching. They need preparation. And so preparation is not analytics. So I would like to see those guys who played the game teach the game. That would be the one thing, you know. Mm -hmm. I I would just love to see that. And there's too many players that are sitting on the sideline waiting for for that teaching opportunity and don't get it. So well, I would you, love to see that. Uh, and Okay, give me one or two things that you would add to the game. Well, the one thing that I would add to the game is I, mean, I would like to see them play a little bit more low post and so that you can swing off the post and go to three-point land or two-point land. I would love to see that post game implemented a little bit more. And Sometimes I want to see some physical, a little bit more physical. But then again, you know, I mean, it looks good to me. I love this. I love the game the way it is today. So I'm like, you know, it's beautiful. Well, you know what? Uh, the last two or three weeks, the referees have changed it on. So it's been a little bit more physical now because they're getting them ready for the playoffs. So I'm actually enjoying the game right now. Yeah. Uh, you listen to Showtime with Coop, Insightful BS, and my man Spencer Haywood. Uh, Wood, you were a, a Hall of Fame inductee in 2015. Who did you bring? What Hall of Famer did you bring with you and why? I brought uh, Charles Barkley because he was my guy. I brought Lenny Wilkins because Lenny Wilkins was with me when I went to the Supreme Court. He was my coach and he was also, we played together with Seattle. And I also brought Bill Walton. Bill Walton and I used to hang because we were up in Seattle and he was in Portland. So we would always, you know, get our smoke together. (laughs) That was was cigarettes. No, no, no. It was definitely not. Definitely not cigarettes. It was for medicinal purposes. I see. Okay. Yeah. Medicinal. Sure. Um, well, the reason why I asked that, you know, I'm up 2021, I've been nominated and I am, uh, kind of getting nervous because May 12th is, they're going to let us know between 12 and, and two o'clock for me. Yeah. And they've been telling me that. So I've been kind of like asking certain people, James, where you're yourself. going to be nervous, man. It's going to be a nerve wracking. Yeah. Uh, but you know, what? that call come in. It, I'm sure you're going to make- call whether we, whether we're in or not. And I want to say this. I am so honored after such as yourself picking cotton that our road leads to the doors of the Hall of Fame. Fame. If I get in or not, 
I have been so blessed and honored that people would even You're gonna get in. No, think don't about that out there. for me. So I'm uh, gonna get in. That's why I asked you. Well, no. I, I'm gonna keep my fingers crossed. Will. No, because the, the rules are you, sometime you have to, you just can't have offense. You gotta have defensive players in as well. So in your class, there's defensive players there. There's a lot of people, Wood. They only gonna take five. They might take and, six. Okay, I'm going to keep it Crosswood. I love you. Um, Ari, anything else? Yeah, well, <clears throat> I would like to say that, you know, right now I'm sitting on 30 years of sobriety. Um, I Congratulations. Have, and, and that year with you guys, with the Lakers, man, you guys saved my life because the day I, I fell asleep when I got to practice, I had fell asleep on the highway. So I was on the verge of being dead. And so, no kidding, Wood. I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, I know. First time I ever so, heard uh, that. So, uh, I mean, to have me to move over to Italy for that one year, kind of got mm-hmm. myself together, and maybe I look back on that team and I said, "Man, I sure would have loved to have had those five-year run with you guys." But it, it wasn't in my plan. It wasn't in God's plan. So, I just want to thank you all, that whole Laker team, for looking out for your boy, like. Man, Wood is a good guy. We ain't gonna let him fall. So hell no, too too good, man. I, I, I got another question I want to ask you, and it's very serious. It might seem okay. funny. You were married to one of the most beautiful women in the world, Iman. Uh, yeah. Donald. What was that like? I mean, <laughs> you have to close your mouth sometime and just cause to keep from looking at her. Cause I remember you invited me over to your house a couple of times for dinner and stuff like that. And I mean, one time I saw her and I couldn't close my mouth cause you see her on magazines and, and TV shows at that time. What was it like to be married to someone like that? Well, the beauty and all of the, the glory was there, but we were like, I'm from this poor town in Mississippi. She's from this poor place in Somalia, East Africa. So we had that in common. And then we, we, we just had a good spiritual connection. We, had a one, we have a wonderful daughter, Suleika, and I had brought over all of her sisters and brothers to stay wow. with us in New York because, you know, they were being exiled because when the coup come about, you have to take your family out of that area and let yeah. somebody else come in. So we had a real good time, man. We had a good marriage for 10 years and we still buddies today. We have a granddaughter. We still hang. We were like running. We were running buddies. That was my girl, man. Good people. All right. You, you, you would not believe this woman, man. I mean, she was. She still is. She still got her. Beauty doesn't even ex- describe her. She was, it was, it was an exotic thing, man. It was absolutely yeah. wonderful to look at. But what, what do you have going on? You want to you wanna, uh, pump your book? Tell us about what you got going well, on. Man. I have the book right now, and this year we are celebrating the 50th anniversary of Haywood v. NBA. And I'm asking the NBA owners and the teams to not let it hang out there like, you know, before they call my rule the hardship, they call it the early entry, and now they call it one and done, but there's no such thing. It is the Haywood rule, the Spencer Haywood rule. So we're asking everybody to put in a good word so that they can change the name on it and make it the Spencer Haywood rule. I'm also, I'm still back into trying to do something special. Uh, 
I want to build this center here for former NBA, former ABA, and former uh, WNBA people who haven't, who fallen on hard times. I'm building a, 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 it's not a survival center, it's a retirement uh, community here. Because being the chairman of the board for the NBA retired players, a lot of that stuff fell on my lap. And I said, boy, if I get my hand on some money, I'm going to do this. And that's what I'm getting ready to do at this time. Fantastic, Wood. And I know you're still involved. Are you still on the board? No, no. I'm, I just took time off because yeah. I've raised my daughters and I have doctors, two doctors out of my girls. And, I have, you know, I have four daughters, two grandsons and one granddaughter. I have been with my wife, Linda. She's back there listening because when I said Iman, she's like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Listen, let's stay in touch, man. Anything I can do, our listeners can do. Well, I'm, I'm praying for that, I'm that praying process, for man. Uh, we can. I love you, my brother. I always love you. I love you the first time I set eyes on you at Loyola Marymount when you came to practice and was practicing and used to say, this is some bullshit. Why don't he let's let us play? <laughs> I was so, look, we had a talented team back there, man. Talented. Oh my gosh. And that's why very I, said, I wanted to apologize to the team because I mean we we weren't gonna miss a playoff ever. Ooh. We weren't gonna miss a championship again, ever. We had it. We could play any kind of style back any then. Any style, like, any flavor you want to do. You and Jones, a, 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 we didn't really need a center because both of you guys were like perimeter players but oh. could play up underneath. We were, man, that was a... Think was, about our team. Coop, Jamal Wilkes, Norm Nixon, Jim Jones, Brad yeah. Hollins, Kareem, <laughs> Spencer, Magic, and Magic, man, the first day. You remember we won our first game in... Uh, what was it in San Diego? San Diego, yeah. Kareem hit that hook like, at the free throw line. Y'all were young, but we were like Kareem and I was looking at each other like, what are they doing? Because we never, <laughs> listen, we were old school, old heads, like had got fell into the game. All of a sudden, Coop and everybody jumping on each other and wrestling. We're like, what are y'all doing? We got 82 to go. <laughs> but that was a beautiful time, man. Oh. Wood, my brother, you take care, man. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I'd love to have you on again sometime in the future, brother. You take care. And again, thanks for coming on, Wood. All right, good luck. Okay, take care.